when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go, the Advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. This is the word of the Lord. There is no evidence that Jesus taught in Greek. There is every evidence that he taught in Aramaic. So when the gospel writers tell us things Jesus said, they have to translate from Aramaic into Greek. And one of the very important things Jesus was teaching the disciples shortly before his death was about the coming presence of God. Whatever word he used, John chooses to use the word in Greek, paraclete. P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E. The old King James translators had to change that Greek word into English. They called it comforter. The New Revised Standard Version, from which we've just read, uses the word advocate. Another leading translation uses the word counselor. One of the great German theologians of the last century, Rudolf Bultmann, said, the helper. Dr. Eugene Peterson, one of the great Presbyterian scholars of our day, uses the word friend. I will send you the paraclete, comforter, counselor, advocate, helper, friend. It wasn't so long before the church started using the words Holy Spirit to describe that one whom Jesus had sent from the Father. The word holy we will be singing in just a few minutes. As our clergy approach the table and then you follow them, you will hear us singing holy, 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 which means set apart, set apart, set apart. This is the word that we use when we're talking about God who is transcendent. From Latin, transcendere means literally the one who can climb over and across the universe. Who is so big he can climb over the universe, who could speak and send billions of stars screaming out through space. But they combine that with the word spirit. A Hebrew word, ruach. A Greek word, pneuma, from which we get words like pneumonia, because the words, both of them, can mean wind, breath, and spirit. What the early church was trying to say is that the one whom God sent to us after the ascension of our Lord Jesus was the bigness of God that was as close to you now as your own breath. Let me give you four things to think about as you wait your time to come to the table. Number one, 
Dr. Raymond Brown says, Notice how Jesus speaks about his own death. Dr. Raymond Brown spent an adult lifetime as a professor of New Testament studies at Yale Divinity School. These professors tend to be very, very specialized. His expertise was one of the 66 books in the Bible, the Gospel of John, and he ended up writing a two-volume commentary that averages 75 pages per chapter. He had a lot to say about the Gospel of John. And for this passage, he says, Note carefully how Jesus talks about his coming death. He simply says, It's time for me to go back to the one who sent me. I'd already started working on this sermon at the end of last week, after I'd gotten last week's sermon finished. By the time my Sunday sort of wound down last week, I picked up the Sunday paper and began to read one of the columns, Garrison Keeler's column. Garrison Keeler was writing a column about saying goodbye to a gentle Swede, his father-in-law. The whole column was about the father-in-law who had been a husband, father of four, had worked at fairly common job. He was a district court clerk all of his adult lifetime. Finally had retired. As the years went on, his wife had died. Garrison Keeler's wife, this man's daughter, wanted to invite her father to come and live with them, particularly after he was stricken with multiple myeloma. A very painful, usually, bone marrow cancer. Garrison Keeler describes this man. He said when he was younger, he chopped lots of wood to get ready for the hard Minnesota winters. Now he struggled to walk two miles every day, walking two miles every day as long as he could, going back to his room, loving to read great books of history, books about some of the greatest women and men who ever lived and shaped the present-day world. He also loved classical music, specifically Bach, Beethoven, and Schubert, his favorites. A few nights before the column was written, this gentleman had died, a few days shy of his 88th birthday, 2.35 a.m. So Garrison Keeler wrote that here we were in these wee hours of the morning. You've got to call the person who can come and confirm the death. You have to have funeral directors come. There's time to be spent. His wife grieving, of course, the death of her father. And then he said she put a little CD into the player, one of Schubert's masses, and this great choir began to sing. The Gloria in excelsis Deo, the Sanctus, holy, 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 the Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy upon us, Christ have mercy upon us, Lord have mercy upon us. The Agnus Dei, O Lamb of God, that taketh away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. And finally, the Pie Jesu, the peace of Jesus Christ. And then Garrison wrote, I was a little apprehensive about having my father-in-law move into our house. 
But you know the two words he used more than any other? Thank you. Thank you. The last two words I heard the men say before he died were, Thank you. We learn from how Jesus died and how others of faith die. All right. Jesus said, I'm about to go back to the one who sent me, but I will ask him and he will send you this one. The scholars all agree it's the continuing presence of Christ. The one who was crucified and has been raised and has ascended to the right hand of God, that one is as close as our own breathing and yet also manifesting the greatness and majesty of God. And when that one comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin. You see, the world had decided what was sin, what was not sin, and they somehow had decided that Jesus, sometimes healing on the Sabbath, Jesus, chasing out demons, was somehow doing the work of Beelzebul. We'll talk about that two weeks from today. The specific text is about the unpardonable sin. Who is the blasphemer? And Jesus said when God sends this one, this, the Father sends this one, he will show you you had the wrong ideas about sin. In John's Gospel, we have the word know, K-N-O-W, and the word believe used more than any other time in any of the other Gospels. John uses the word to know 56 times, and he uses the word believe 98 times. There's no question that in John's Gospel, sin was not believing that Jesus was the face and heart of God. At the end of his Gospel, a text we dealt with just a few weeks ago, he said, I could have written more, but I've written this much in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believing have life in his name. If believing in him is the way to life, then believing what he taught us is all important. He said there's two things you really need to be aware of. One, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You must worship this one with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. All of your heart you must have no other God but him. And with each other, you have to treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way you want to be treated. The other night I was reading my latest Time magazine. There was an article there written by Maya Salovitz. She was writing about a program in the elementary schools of Toronto, Canada. As I read the article, it reminded me of a program we have right here in Tulsa. Our Oklahoma Center for Community and Justice, successor to the old National Conference of Christians and Jews, has a program in public schools here that are willing to have it called Different and the Same. Dr. Nancy MacDonald, retired educator in our community, recruited volunteers for OCCJ to go into our elementary schools Try to help them understand what it means to be different and the same. 
to stop bullying, to stop verbally and physically making life difficult for each other. You know what they're trying in Toronto, Canada? Bringing a baby with its mother into a third grade classroom. A baby that's big enough, old enough to crawl, but not old enough to talk. And this baby crawls around on the floor and these third graders all huddle around. What they're trying to teach these third graders is that the baby cannot talk. So if it starts to cry, you have to try to figure out, is it wet? Is it soiled? Is it hungry? Is it angry? Mothers, fathers, who pay close attention learn there's a different cry for those needs. Third graders have to work pretty hard at that. One educator said, we're always glad to have a colicky baby from time to time when nothing you do seems to work. These third graders are being asked, can you figure out what this baby's problem is when he cannot tell you, when she cannot tell you. What people are saying of the third graders may not be what's really happening inside. Can you figure out what may be happening inside and treat that person the way you would want to be treated when that's happening to you? Empathy. Empathy. Can you feel with the other? Number three, when the paraclete comes, it will prove the world wrong about righteousness. You see, the people of Jesus' day decided they had it all figured out. The world had it all figured out as to how one gets along. And the Spirit's going to convince people who are willing to listen, pay close attention that they had it wrong, Righteousness is twofold. One, the righteousness that comes from God, which is a gift, and the righteousness describing our relationship with each other. Righteousness literally means right standing. Dikaiosune in Greek is right standing. So, standing right with God is a gift offered and received. Dr. Kroll read the words from Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. I knock, Jesus said, you open. God wants good to come to you. God is not the enemy. God is your friend. God is your helper. God is your comforter. Open the door. If you do, and let him come in, you stand right with God. You stand right with God. And Jesus said, following up on the earlier, we stand right with each other when we do agape. It's not a feeling, it's a decision of the mind when you do the right things. The right things. You put yourself out for the well-being of another. Let's catch up with my reading. There was my Rotarian magazine had just arrived. So I was reading through. I've been a Rotarian for 40 years. And here was a story about a woman named Kelly Sargent. She's a Rotarian in Des Moines, Iowa. Kelly's life didn't begin so well. 
She was born into a family with an alcoholic father. And when the father would come home drunk or drink enough at home to get drunk, he'd beat on Kelly's mother. This was 50 years ago. Kelly's mother, somehow named Helen, could not bring herself to run. She wasn't sure she could make it out there in the world without a husband. So when Kelly was six, one night her dad came home drunk, started beating on her mother, and beat her to death. Kelly lost her mother to death when she was six. She could have become bitter. She could have decided to become like her dad. A lot of kids do. Become like the dad or the mother. They act out in the same ways the prior generation acted out. She didn't. She decided to think about what she could do for women who found themselves in the same circumstance as her mother, Helen. When she became an adult, she started trying to find out about abused women and what was being done for them in the state of Iowa. And she discovered that one of the primary needs these women had when they finally broke and ran, often in the middle of the night, to one of these shelters, they didn't have anything to sleep in. So she bought new pajamas. And with every pair of new pajamas, a little note about her mother. My mother couldn't bring herself to run, to run for help. Her name was Helen. You tonight have done the right thing. This pair of pajamas is a gift in my mother's name. Welcome to Helen's pajama party. Things are about to get better for you. Guess what? This article said there are now new pajamas waiting in every shelter in the state of Iowa because of Kelly. And now they've branched out to the three adjoining states, trying to be sure that as many women as possible know they've been invited to Helen's pajama party to a better tomorrow. Better tomorrow. That's the idea. That's what agape is. Number four. It will also prove the world wrong about judgment. You see, they had a trial for Jesus. They declared him guilty of claiming to be the king of the Jews. It was a way to get rid of him, get rid of his voice, they thought, get rid of his influence. They judged him. But when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and life, it will convince you that the world was wrong, that in fact... He was the face and heart of the Almighty. That he was showing people the way and the truth and the life. That we could come to the Father through him. And we could learn, we could learn how to treat each other the way we ought to treat each other. We could do it by the grace of God. We could do it so that one day we would not have to fear the judgment of God. Some of you know Ann Smith in our church. She's executive director of Neighbor for Neighbor here in Tulsa. I've known for the 30 years I've been in Tulsa that we've had a lot of people volunteering out at Neighbor for Neighbor. For years, Boston Avenue was the program on Monday nights. 
Dr. Duane Brothers, many others went out as physicians. Uh, doctors Pam and Carrie Lowe, two dentists who've gone over and over and over and over to help at Neighbor for Neighbor. Many others from Boston Avenue Church. I had not seen the facility they'd been in now for about five years or so. It's really beautiful out on North 36, North 36. Um, Anne had lined up folks to take me around, see all these different things they're doing. I had told my secretary, I think I'll be back in an hour. I was there too. And they were still telling me all these wonderful things that are happening at Neighbor for Neighbor. Just one person after another telling what he or she was doing there. For example, they have a lawyer there, a woman attorney. I, what, what do you do here? Well, she said, a lot of these children have to have a legal document that says who is their guardian. They have to know that. They can't be treated by a physician until somebody has the right to make a decision about that child. It affects much. Has an official guardian been named? If the mother is not the proper one, the father not the proper one, then get grandmother, grandfather, get aunt, uncle, somebody properly designated. There are people who take advantage of the poor, of course. She said there are people who have an old broken down car. They pull it into a garage one night. They get back the next morning to check on it. And the mechanic says they did $2,000 worth of work on a $500 car. And if you don't pay the 2000 they take your car. Unless you have a lawyer. I am their lawyer, she said. I am their lawyer. You know what? She dealt with more than 4,000 cases last year on behalf of the poor who were being mistreated, who couldn't understand sometimes what a contract said, what was really expected of them. People who thought they were buying a house, they were only renting a house, or they thought they were buying a house that really didn't belong to the people who were selling it to them. They didn't do title searches and so on, unless they have a lawyer who helps them. There's a woman there who teaches them how to cook, Seven colors a day, she said. You need to eat seven colors a day and teaches them how to cook. There are others who teach GED, high school equivalency programs. Last year there were 3,000 medical exams. There are 2,000 dental exams at Neighbor for Neighbor. I was impressed. They just need more money, more resources, more volunteers. One special room, uh, they have a big Christmas party every year. And they also do crafts in this area. They told me about Santa Claus coming to visit the children there and about the refreshments and all the decorations and the Christmas tree and how the guardian of each of those children is taken into another room where other presents can be chosen and secretly taken out and put in the trunk of the car so that there is a Christmas on Christmas morning at that house as well. And as I got a little farther into that department, there were five volunteers already working on next Christmas, May the 17th already working on next Christmas. One of the women I recognized. She's in her 80s, never married, has no children, no grandchildren. She doesn't see so well. She had a magnifying glass about this big on the desk in front of her and her hands behind it gently putting beads onto a necklace for some little girl's Christmas seven months from now. What do you think God will say to her when she arrives at the gate?